0: Listen up. It's time for a Politically Entertaining exclusive interview.
1: Joining us on Politically Entertaining today, he is our second United States senator to come on the show, and we're very excited to have him on. He's the junior senator from the great state of Oklahoma. He's also the host of the Breakdown podcast and generally one of my favorite guys to talk to around the Senate chamber. Senator Lankford, thank you for joining us today.
2: You bet, glad to be able to do it. Good to be able to talk to you on a podcast rather than in the hallways.
1: Exactly, exactly, with the press trying to lean in and listen and stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, Frank and I, we know you're a very busy guy, so we'll just get right into the questions. Uh, the first one I have is, so after the, uh, the Justice Act fell, officially fifty-five forty-five, even though it really was fifty-six forty-four, McConnell changed uh-huh. his vote you know, to give himself the right to bring it back to the floor. Senator Scott gave a speech on it, and in it, he mentioned the who as to why the bill fell and the stereotypes of the Republican Party. My question for you is, do you agree with that being the reason? And if so, who is mostly to blame for your party being viewed that way? Is the media? Is it the Democrats that mischaracterize you guys? Or does your party bear any of the blame at all
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I I was actually in the chair when Senator Scott was speaking on the floor, and uh, so I was there in the room uh, when all that was going down. Uh, The the plea that he made was – We have got to be able to find a way to be able to come together and to not just do partisanship on some hard things for the whole country. And I think when he made the statement of the the problem wasn't what's in the bill, because the what in the bill is a lot of the same thing that Democrats have in the bill as well. When he was saying it's the who, I think for him it was two things. One is it's a black Republican uh, is one of the who's uh, that it's become a we, we, we can't allow black Republicans to be able to speak out. Uh, because then people will will figure out that Republicans aren't all racist. And uh, right now, it's an easy thing to be able to say, uh, those Republicans, they're all racist. And uh, everybody just paints that way. Don't don't ask questions. Don't look, don't actually see their policies. Don't do that. They're just all racist. And to be able to just throw that aside. The second part of that, I think of the who really is that it's a Republican as well. Uh, when I talk to people about being the party of Lincoln, uh, I mean, re- Republicans were the party of Lincoln. Uh, they were the party that said, we- we've got to have equal justice under the law to be able to speak out. Uh, Democrats in the Old South, what was affectionately called at the time Dixiecrats, uh, in the Old South were the ones that were blocking civil rights actions, were the ones that were putting the Jim Crow laws in place. It was Republicans that were doing that for years and years and years to push back against all those Jim Crow laws. Uh, In the 1960s, when the Civil Rights Act moved, everybody looks at LBJ and says LBJ was president. That's true. LBJ was president. But when he turned to the House and the Senate to get the votes to actually pass it, it was overwhelmingly Republican votes that passed it in the House and the Senate. And so there's there's all this tension back and forth trying to figure out what happened. Uh, I think there's a couple of things of, of the what happened there. I think it became just an easy target to be able to say, Republicans have a different answer for how you deal with social issues. Republicans have a different answer for how you deal with finance or how you get to jobs. And so if their answers are different, it must be just that they're racist. And it just became an easy thing to throw out there and keeps getting said. It's one of the things Tim Scott said several times. Hey, he sees the same problems that Democrats uh, that are black Democrats that he interacts He said, I see the same problems in, in crime and in, in economic advancement and education. He, I just see a different answer. And where some Democrats are saying, no, you've got to do our answer or you can't speak on this issue at all, uh, then uh, Tim's stepping up and saying, hey, there, there may be other options out here, uh, other ways to be able to solve these same issues. And uh, But right now, the whole focus is don't let anyone speak. Uh, don't let anyone, if they do speak out on these issues, they're all just racist, just don't listen. And I think right now is the best time for the country to say, okay, let's put politics aside how do we solve the problems that we face as a nation, including in issues of race and economic development, education and healthcare, and make sure that it's fair for everybody. And let's not argue about who loves people. Let's argue about which is the right solution, because I think we all inherently love people and our neighbors.
1: I can relate exactly to what you said about uh, him being a black Republican, because as you were the presiding officer, I actually was, I'm pictured right behind him during that speech. And so many people who know me sent me screenshots and and I'm like, yo, forget all that though. It actually was a pretty good speech you should listen to. I'm not listening, I I I don't wanna hear that. Like it was like pulling teeth to get people that I know to listen to that speech. So you're exactly right on that. Now, the next question I wanted to ask and it also relates to the speech uh, before I passed it to Frank was, he said that, you know, and you mentioned it too that Democrats were playing politics with this bill, that they wanted to be the ones to pass the bill. They couldn't afford to let Republicans do it. And I completely agree that they were playing politics. But is it a fair criticism when some people may say that, hey, well, you guys played politics in 2016 when Obama's choice, Mary Garland, was denied a hearing? And I know Joe Biden's 87 comments were used as a justification. But that Senate still held a vote and confirmed, I think it was Justice Kennedy. Kennedy, Is that a fair critique or is that a flawed example in comparison?
2: Yeah, that, that example, I think, will be thrown out there for generations and to say, you you, know, you guys are ranked partisans because of this. Uh, the, the fact was, if, if everything had been turned the other direction and uh, Democrats had been in control of the Senate, it would have been exactly the same way. Uh, Because that that was an action to say, what are we going to do? We have a presidential election ongoing, and we have an opening in a Supreme Court position. Then now what of that? Uh, And so, uh, again, if Hillary Clinton would have won the election, no one would have cared. This would have all been dropped. uh, But because Trump won, uh, then it became the biggest issue and the biggest divisive issue. At the end of the day, there's lots of times, like the CARES Act when we worked on that together, everybody set politics aside and said, Okay, we we gotta solve this big issue. It passed unanimously out of the Senate. National Defense Authorization's on the floor right now. First vote on the national defense authorization, it passed eighty nine to four uh, for the first vote. I mean, so there, there, there are times where all the politics get set aside. We were just a little stunned because we assumed this was one of those moments on criminal justice reform uh, and on police reform to say, we should all set politics aside. We're going to have differences and how we're going to do, but let's find the common ground on this. And uh, that, that was the part that was a little stunning. And I think it's going to get harder as the years go on because some of my Democrat colleagues are saying to me, now, well, well Trump's numbers look terrible. His polling numbers look terrible. So we think Biden's going to win. And we think if Biden wins, we'll win the Senate back and we'll win the House back. So why should we negotiate on anything right now? Let's just stall and not do anything because we think we can get part of what we want now. But if we just don't do anything, then we'll get everything that we want in January and February of next year. Well, number one, that's not really how real life works, uh, and we, we saw that during the early years of President Obama's term, that there was, uh, the Democrats just got everything they wanted because they had a supermajority in the Senate, they had the House and the Senate and the presidency, and they ran a lot of and the whole country reacted to that like, whoa, uh, everything's moving too fast, we want to see bipartisan cooperation. I think the country wants to see that. Everyone has their own opinions, but people want to see people work out their differences, and uh, and say I don't run over my neighbor when I disagree. I don't want people to run over each other in the Senate either.
0: Wow, man, that was that was amazing, uh, Senator Langford. Um, this is Frank. I'm going to jump in here and ask you a question. Um, take a little bit of a, a off topic, but I know you're a man of faith. I, I am a man of faith myself. Uh, when you look at some of the racial unrest that's going on in the country, and certainly you you've seen it mm-hmm. happen not just now, but even going back to say civil so rights, even going back to the you know LA riots in the '90s. What role do you think? The church should be playing, and the reason why I ask that question is, you know, the Republican Party certainly for Black people. We talk about Black Republicans. I've like a lot of Black people have conservative values. We believe in, you know, uh, the sanctity of marriage. We believe in, um, you know, we, we're not a, not for abortion, but when it comes to, like you said, some of the issues may be confusing about the human rights and things. People have voted Democrat, but my question here is, do you see an opportunity for the Republican Party to take advantage of? the church maybe becoming more active, more involved, and, and, and leading the conversation on how to heal racial reconciliation in this country.
2: Yep. And I would say this, as being a person of faith and a person of the church as well, what's happening right now in race in America is a result of the church not speaking out enough on racial reconciliation. Uh, and the church has failed to be able to get this message out, and now the church is having to to jump back into the driver's seat where they should have been to be able to articulate these issues. I mean, when I go through Scripture... The issue of reconciliation is front and center. Uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we've been given this message and this ministry of reconciliation, not only being reconciled to each other, but reconciled to God. Uh, go all the way back to the Old Testament where you go to Deuteronomy 25, and it talks about equal weights and measures. Uh, from the very beginning of the foundation of the nation of Israel, it was all focused on everybody, the poor, the wealthy, uh, the visitor, the, uh, the, whoever it may be, everyone has to be treated the same. Uh, If you go all the way to the end of the book of the Revelation in uh, chapter 7, it talks about gathered around the throne of God every tribe, every nation, every people, uh, every language gathered around the throne in worship. Uh, If we're going to say his kingdom come his will be done. Well, his kingdom in heaven has every tribe, every tongue, every nation in it. That's what the church should look like now. Uh, but the church has not succeeded in that. Uh, and if you even go to Peter and his vision uh, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, where Peter has this vision of all these different animals coming, of all these different types, and, and him as a Jew saying, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. And God rebuke him and saying, don't, don't call unclean what I call clean. And then immediately he goes downstairs and interacts with a person that's a Gentile of another race. And the message was pretty clear. Stop calling people unclean that are different than you and start engaging with people because God loves every single person because the church has failed to be able to get that out and to be able to bring reconciliation. I think the whole community is feeling it at this point, but the church can go regain that spot. We, we, we should be in that lead role to be able to get that message out. Uh, I share with a lot of pastors and with a lot of people, quite frankly, a very simple question. Has your family ever had a family of another race in your home for dinner, just for a meal? And I have a lot of people that will answer that and say, well, I have friends of another race. And I'll say, well, that's not what I asked you. I asked you, has your family ever had a family of another race in your home for dinner? And for most people of every race that I talk to, the answer is no on that. It's like we have a barrier. We, we're friendly with people, but not moving to friends with people. And there's a big difference between friendly and friends. And the church should speak out on these issues and talk about race but we should also demonstrate that and who we are and what we do and to be able to move us in relationships. Not to, not to be what I see some churches do, to say get a black church and a white church together once a year for some service and everybody sings together and then everybody goes back in their corners. I'm talking about developing friendships that are genuine friendships with people not based on that they're a different race, but based on they're a person and they're a person loved by God and starting to break those barriers down.
0: Wow, that was, man, that was amazing. I I mean, that was such a powerful speech. Just because I think people don't people don't hear that what you said too. And let's just keep it real. A lot of people say, "Oh, a white a white man from Oklahoma, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't go into scripture and really find those things." And, and, And so I think it's important for you to say that here on this platform so that people can see, like we talked about, that there are. There, there is a reconciliation happening between people, and, and people can choose not or choose to see it or not to see it. But so I thank you for that candor in your answer. Um, and then I just want to follow with this last question: Is, you know, as you mentioned, the church leading this? Um, how do do you, do you feel like this will lead into something politically, or do you think the church should handle this outside of politics, or this is just something that should be done outside of political parties?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd, the, the the church should stay out of the politics of it. Uh, but this is a biblical issue about racial reconciliation. Uh, I mean, it goes way, way back when I talk about in Deuteronomy. My, my favorite story to bring up from Scripture on uh, on racial reconciliation is actually the book of Jonah. And a lot of people are surprised by that uh, because they think about Jonah and the big fish. They think it's a kid's story, and they go, okay, what, what does that have to do with race? Well, there's four chapters in the book of Jonah. The fourth chapter, you find out, why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and to be able to actually preach there, why he was fighting against God and not going where God was telling him to do. And he says, because he hated them. Okay, it was them. It was us and them at that point. And the book of Jonah is really a story about a, a Jonah who was racist, Who, who said that those people in that place from that background that look like that, I hate them and I knew if I went and preached, you would forgive them and I didn't want them to be forgiven. And so the, the crux of the book of Jonah is all about race and about reconciliation and about God's affection because the, God comes back and rebukes Jonah and says, why shouldn't I love them the same way that I love you? What, what, what is different here? And so the challenge that comes back to Jonah is you need to see people as God sees people and stop seeing them as you see them. So th- this whole perception that comes out Uh, about race is something God's been hammering on us uh, as a people for millennia on, uh, and it's an area where we've made progress, but we're certainly not done. Uh, Again, I tell folks, when you watch the athletes come in during the Olympics, you, you, you watch almost every country walk in under their flag and all of their athletes look the same until the United States marches in. And when the United States marches in, you see all of these colors and all these backgrounds of the athletes. And you realize our nation really is working on race more than just about every other nation is it's not that there aren't other races in other nations they're just not allowed on their team to represent their country uh so they're, they're more isolated than what we're doing we are breaking down some barriers but with some significant pain and quite frankly with 400 years of bad history on uh, underneath it all and uh, so there, there's a lot to be done but again i go back to the 1800s and the 1700s the church was not doing its job on racial reconciliation. It's not really until the late 1800s and the 1900s you started seeing some churches engage. In fact, uh, uh, being from Oklahoma, the worst race riot in American history was in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921 uh, and when a white mob went and just burned down the city of Greenwood in North Tulsa, just destroyed it. Up to 300 people were killed in that mob. It was a terrible scene where this white mob went into a black community and just burned it all down. It was the white churches in Tulsa and the American Red Cross that actually went into that community and started working for reconciliation immediately after that uh, to be able to do what they could to be able to help people's needs on it. So there have been some sparks of light in this for a long time, but there's more that needs to be done and can be done.
1: We're talking to the uh, senator from Oklahoma, Senator James Lankford. Uh, We're extremely grateful to have him on. And what you said towards the end of your last answer is what I was going to mention. You are one of the only members that I've heard personally speak consistently about the Tulsa massacre in 1921. I've heard you speak on Juneteenth. And what I wanted to talk about during your black history speech this year, you spoke about a young lady named Ada Fisher. Of- Ada Fisher, yeah. Yeah, Chickasha, Oklahoma.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you could, uh, you know, in your own words, could you just tell the audience quick, real quickly, you know, about her amazing accomplishment?
2: Yeah, Ada, Ada Fisher was the first lawyer in Oklahoma. It's a black lawyer in Oklahoma to be trained in Oklahoma. Uh, there was there was a time when when obviously you could have black lawyers, but you had to go to black schools and black law schools, and you were allowed. It was separate but equal, quote unquote, uh, was the term that was being thrown out there all the time. Well, Ada Fisher wanted to go to the University of Oklahoma Law School. It was a well recognized law school, uh, even at that time, and uh, she wanted to be able to attend there, and they said no. And uh, so she kept reapplying and re-going through the process, and they kept saying no. And uh, so eventually she ends up uh, going to the court and goes all the way to the Supreme Court to be able to get access to be able to get to uh, the University of Oklahoma Law School. And they grant it and allow her to be able to go there and say, hey, separate but not equal is not going to work here. Uh, you can't just set her there. Then they wanted to be able to put her in the back of the class uh, and have her to be able to do it at a different time so she wouldn't back through and broke through that barrier as well. The lady was tenacious. uh, Hanging in my office, uh, and has been for years, uh, is a picture of her signing the book as a lawyer in Oklahoma to be the first lawyer, black lawyer in Oklahoma uh, that was trained in a white school, uh, and the barrier that she broke through there, to, now the law students at the University of Oklahoma wouldn't have no idea what someone did in the background uh, to be able to break through all that, uh, to be able to challenge uh, the the process, and to be able to open up the doors for the future. So yeah, she's one tenacious lady, Ada Fisher, and uh, she's one of those uh, great great folks in history that people can lose track of uh, but broke through a lot of barriers and set the pace for a lot of people and just exposed the hypocrisy uh, that a lot of people had.
1: It, I definitely learned from it and she's someone that uh, because of you I decided to look up more and I'd invite the listeners to listen to that speech in its entirety because there's a connection with uh good, Marshall as well, so.
2: Yep, sure is. Yep, good, Marshall was the one <clears throat> arguing it to the Supreme Court. It's kind of amazing when yeah. yeah. as, as, lo- exactly. as a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, that, that that was a practice round to him to get a chance to hang out there a little more often in the building.
1: So I want to get you out of here. As we said at the top of the uh, interview, we know your time is valuable. So my final question for you is, and you mentioned this as well during one of your answers, you're working with Senator Coons and other members on both sides on the CARES Act. Uh, you mentioned the CARES Act earlier. Would you mind speaking a bit on the intentions of this bill and how it will help Americans during COVID?
2: Yeah, so the, the, the CARES Act, when it passed, was designed to try to get us through the worst of the worst. And, and everybody kind of loses track of this. We, we passed it in, in March. Uh, And at that time, none of us had any idea how long this would last. In fact, the health professionals at that point were saying, we may have to stop as a country for two weeks. We may just have to stop to put this virus down. And everyone was freaking out, like we can't just stop as a country for two weeks. Uh, We can't get through that. And now it's been months and months uh, that we've gone through it. But the CARES Act, uh, it was a nonpartisan bill. end of it, as I mentioned earlier, passed unanimously uh, through the Senate. Uh, passed overwhelmingly in the House, signed by the president. Uh, it was designed to be able to help with unemployment assistance for folks. Uh, this Paycheck Protection Program, folks have heard about it. It's for small businesses and nonprofits uh, to be able to pay their own employees. It would give them up to two months of payroll to be able to cover their, their employees during this time period. Uh, there was a lot of additional things that were put in to be able to help cities and states uh, to be able to get through it. $150 billion was allocated to the states and cities, uh, to help them be able to get through this because they're going to lose a lot of revenue during this time. Uh, so we, we put that in place passed it overwhelmingly and now in the end of July, we'll come back again and to be able to look and say, okay, is there anything else that needs to be tweaked? Is there anything else that has to be changed? Uh, because we learned a lot, like uh, restaurants, and uh, they're starting to slowly come back, but it's a struggle for them. Hotels are having a big problem because people aren't traveling. Uh, air airports and all those authorities are having a big problem because so few people are traveling. Uh, convention centers are all empty, and so all of those restaurants and small businesses around all those convention centers are having a really hard time. And we got Fourth of July events uh, that are canceled around this. So there's all these things that are occurring that just have a snowball effect on it. But on top of that you've got some rural cities in suburban areas, they've done better than ever because they're used to those really small rural towns. People would drive in to the big cities to go get groceries and everything. Well, during this time period, they didn't. So what we're finding is small towns they're doing better during the COVID-19 time than they've ever done before with sales tax revenue and such. And so now we've got to figure out, okay, what are we going to do to be able to help cities? But we may not have to be able to help some other towns because they're doing even better than ever on, on sales tax revenue because people aren't driving or people are buying online a lot more at their house. That means their sales tax revenue is coming to their local entity because they're buying online is it's coming back home. Uh, so it, there, there's a lot we're trying to learn from it to try to figure out, now what do we do now in July on through the rest of the year as we're still working on getting vaccines and uh, medical treatment to folks uh, because it's, it's, it's a really serious thing. Uh, more, and more, more and more young people are getting out and they're not taking precautions. And so we're seeing the numbers jump up uh, where older folks are still paying attention. They're very aware that virus is out there. Younger folks are starting to take some more risks uh, to be able to get out more. Uh, but it, it is a unique challenge for us to be able to manage. Until we can get to a vaccine, we're not going to really stop this thing. Uh, But we got to get to a point that at least we can manage it and try to be able to get through this in the next few months.
1: So I want to say this before we let you go. And much of this has been mentioned throughout either our questions or your answers. But I just wanted to say this and, uh, you know, I'll I'll see how you respond to it. But I just want to say black people, we vote about I think it's about 88 percent Democrat. When Obama was running for president, it reached up to 95 percent. My message to you, Senator, and I, I i said something similar to Senator Scott when he was on here as well. We don't want to. I don't want the Republican Party to think that Black people just love the Democrats and we just can't wait to vote for them. In my opinion, from just listening to people I know, they want Republicans to compete more for our vote. You know, call out any racist or coded language that may be within your party. If mem- If more members Brought awareness to some of the issues that you have on the floor, Juneteenth, Tulsa, uh, mentioning like Ada Fisher in, in, during Black History Month. Uh, I believe that stereotype of your party can change because it wasn't that long ago Democrats carried that stereotype, uh, you know, as you mentioned, how they were yep. pushing for Jim Crow. So we know the narrative can change. People like Frank and I, we want to see that change because we want to see both major parties pushing. And, and fighting for our vote. And I think a lot of Black people feel like they have no choice but to vote for Democrats. And if people like you you know, spoke up and, 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 like I say, became more known for some of the things you mentioned on the Senate floor, I think we can change that narrative. Because the Republican Party that fights for our vote, I'm telling you, it, it would be a great thing.
2: Well, it should be a right thing. Every party should it compete for every American's vote. And jump out there and just say, hey, we we may have, we're looking at the same problem, we may have different solutions. Education is one of those. Republicans are very outspoken on school choice. Because we've seen in some communities in some zip codes where the schools don't get better year after year after year. They just don't get better. They don't get better. We pour more money in. We do more. They don't get better. And so one of the solutions we've got is why don't you give the parents in that community the option to choose a school different than the one down the street if they want to. They don't have to, but if they want to choose one different, they could my Democratic colleagues are like, no, adamantly opposed to that. Everybody needs to be able to go to their neighborhood school. Uh, that's the way it's set up. We're trying to push back and say, give parents that choice. I, I think there are a lot of folks that would be in, uh, interested in that. We just have a different idea on some of these things on how to engage it. And Sometimes the politics and the race gets looped up. Uh, I, have, I have folks, and I'll just say it, but I have folks that every time I start talking about race, they'll say, yeah, but you got a, a score last year from the NAACP, their political score of an F. They gave you an F, so you're terrible on race i'm like no hold on (laughs) the naacp was scoring not on race issues on their political issues, they they scored on things like, uh, did you vote, vote for Mick Mulvaney uh, for chief of staff uh, in one of his positions? Oh, like yeah, I did. I, I did vote. They're like, okay, well then you're a racist. I was like, I'm not a racist because I voted for Mick Mulvaney. Uh, that's a difference in political views on things and a difference in political things. So when we get the race and the politics tied up together. We, we don't listen to people and, and try to hear out and to say, is there a different way to accomplish the same thing that may work better? Uh, because we've been stuck in doing the same thing and trying to solve problems the same way over and over again, and they don't seem to get better. And uh, so I, I do think there's a fairness to be able to get out there. And I do think at times there'll be some Republicans say some really dumb thing yeah. and everybody says, well, that's how all Republicans speak. I was like, that's not fair because uh, Democrats will occasionally say some dumb thing and no one says the same thing about all Democrats think that way. Um, but it, it, it's, it's just the way that it is right now and getting a chance to be able to engage and to be able to talk about the issues and to say every person is in the image of God. Every person has value and worth. Let's talk, let's talk through the things. Let's talk as people and try to figure out how to be able to solve this together. And then uh, don't really let the politics get us all caught up.
1: That uh, was great. He's Senator James Langford, Oklahoma. Appreciate you coming on, Senator. I can't thank you enough. Uh, Enjoy the conversation, and I'll see you around the chamber soon.
2: Deal. I'll see you in the hallways. Frank Byron, thanks very much for inviting me on to be a part of the dialogue.
0: Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.